Good morning. Like Dan said, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. It is a joy to be with you again. And I literally, I truly, truly mean that. It is a joy to be in God's house, as God's church, to worship his name, to lift up our voices together. The worship uh, time that we just had was so sweet, so precious, to sing praise unto our God. And so hopefully today, as we open the word of God, we will become better worshipers of God. Do you realize that? Like, that's the goal of everything. That's the goal of every time we open up the Word of God is not just so we gain some knowledge or not just so we get a bit of encouragement so that we get out of here and and look a little better, look a little bit like a better Christian when we leave this place. But ultimately, truly, the goal and the hope of every time we gather is so that we become better worshipers. And when I say that, I don't just mean better singers. I don't just mean uh, better vocalists, but better, um, deeper surrender, deeper submission, deeper um, love that leads to deeper devotion. You understand that? Like when you open up the text of God, that you see the revelation of God, that hopefully we are um, captured by God captured in our heart, captured in our affections, that we would see the supremacy of Jesus, the the treasure that is Jesus, and that the rest of this world would pale in comparison of him. We leave as a worshiper. We leave as one who goes about our day and the context of our day. Your job now becomes the mission field. Your family becomes this beautiful expression of worship and devotion of God. That's why we're here. And so today we're in this series called Best Laid Plans. It's a mini-series. We took a book, a break from the book of John, and we're looking at the design of God, the plans of God, the will of God, that God is this magnificent designer and creator, and he has a design for humanity, and in particular for his people, those that he has called out of darkness, those who have been once blind but have called into the light of Christ, he has a good and perfect design for us, his church. And in particular, today we're going to look at God's design in the family and especially in marriage, okay? Married folks, listen up, but single folks, don't check out, okay? This is always my tension as a pastor. Like, you're trying to say a little something for everybody in the room. And when you get kind of topical and you get kind of in these modes here where it's like, oh, I really want to speak to marriage because the Bible speaks to marriage and God has a beautiful design and purpose and plan for marriage, but yet I don't want anyone who's single or maybe some of our teenagers in the room to go, okay, well, what's Facebook up to? What's Instagram up to? And check out on me because, okay, in this moment, There's something in this message for you today, I'm sure, if you will tune your heart to the Holy Spirit. So stay with me, okay? And I will say this. Live the calling of God on your life right now. If you're single in this room, maybe you're a teenager, maybe you are a young person in this room, don't be idle in waiting for life to begin. You ever notice that? Sometimes, I can remember as a teenager, man, it was like we... And we're, I think as Americans, we're really bad at this. We're always kind of in this transient state where we're always looking ahead and we have a hard time living in this moment right now. 
especially when you're a young person, you're waiting for life to begin. I remember as a young person, I, w- I couldn't wait till I was 16, right? 16 is like a milestone. You get your license and you're free. Some of you saw my Facebook profile picture this last week. That is literally my driver's license photo from the day I turned 16. I turned 16 and got my license on my birthday. It was awesome. I was a goofy looking kid, kind of, some, not too bad. Some people, some people say that Oliver looks like me, so I don't want to say I was too goofy looking, but you know, <laughs> you're that teenager. You're kind of awkward a little bit. And then you got this other milestone where it's 18, and then I'm an adult, and I can leave the house if I want, and I can vote, and that's been going real well. You know, and you get the ch- opportunity to vote, and these people that are put out in front of you, and you're like, okay, less for two evil, who do I pay? Ah. And then it's 21, right? And it's like 21, that's another milestone. And then it's, but live the purpose of God now, right? I think about scripture where it says, don't look down, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. But be an example to the believers in life, love, speech, humility, like be an example. Live the calling of God in your life now. Don't wait for life to begin. Think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 about singleness. That there's great advantages, gospel advantages, to being single. He says that married are anxious and concerned about the things of the world. They're, well, they're worried about how to provide for their family and how to please their spouse. But the unmarried, he says in verse 32, they're concerned about the things of the Lord. Think about the phrase like, you know, I'm not tied down, right? When you're married, you're tied down. But we often think of that phrase as, you know, when you're tied down, you can't do what you want. When you're not tied down, you can do whatever you want. But that's not the case for those in Christ Jesus. When Jesus claims our life, if you're a young person or an old person, it doesn't matter where you are, your life is no longer your own. And so the context of your life is just the beautiful expression of the gospel of Jesus. If you're single... If you're not yet married, or maybe you don't even want to be married, praise God. That's fine. Live beautifully, boldly in the context, in that moment. Don't be waiting for life to begin. You're in it right now. Live it to the glory of Jesus. And so last week, we looked at how we were created in the image of God. The week before that, we kind of dug into the nature of sin and the, the, the foundation of sin, right? This rebellion towards the word of God, that God has a plan, God has a design. You see it in Satan. You see how he deceived Eve. Did God really say? And ever since then, it's been us rebelling against the design of the designer, us rebelling against the word and the plan, the will of God. And then Jesus comes in, and he claims our life. He purchases us, purchases us with his blood, and our life then is no longer our own, and we no longer live it for us and our selfish desires and our sinful desires, but we now live it to the glory of Christ Jesus. Today, like I said, we're going to look at God's design in the family, and in particular, we're going to look at Uh, marriage. And so if you want to take your Bible, let's look at a couple of passages right away. And I meant to print this off and I never did. Ray, why didn't you remind me, bud? (laughs) Ray and I talked about this beforehand. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. We read these verses uh, last week, actually. We'll read them again here today. It says this, 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, right? We've been made in the image of God to be the image of God, to be an image of God, to reflect and shine him after our likeness. And let them, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's jump down a little bit. Go down to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Let's look at those verses really quick. Then the Lord said, it is not that... uh, I'm a little ahead of myself. Slow down, Kev. Then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to to man to see what he would call them. Right? So Adam's naming the creatures. And whatever the man called every living creature, it was its name. Man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to the beasts of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper fit for him. Some of your versions say suitable helper. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Before we pray over this message today, let's look at one more passage. Let's look at what Jesus has to say. Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bible, flip over to Mark chapter 10. Let's look at the first nine verses of chapter 10. It says this, And he left there, and he went into the region of Judea, Beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. Now the Pharisees, verse 2, and the Pharisees came up. And in order to test him, they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Jesus said to them, because of your hardened heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Let's pray before we continue on, okay? Father, again, we come before you, and I ask for humble hearts. My own heart, every heart in this room, God, for humble hearts, for fertile soil. That we wouldn't come to your text with an agenda, that we wouldn't come to your text with um, a presupposition, that we wouldn't come to your text with a callous formed towards one area of your text. But God, let us receive from you fully today everything that you have from us, everything that you have for us. 
take your text, take your word, take the truth, and God, show us your plan. Show us your will. Show us your design, and God, let us be glad in it. Let us rejoice in it that the God of all creation has a plan for us, a good plan, a good design for us that we would flourish and multiply, that we would, by design of God, reflect the beauty of God. Help us, God, understand our purpose. And in particular today, God, help us understand marriage. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I love marriage. It's pretty good because my wife's sitting in the front row. I, I love marriage. I love our marriage. I really do. Like, I love my wife. I love what we have. I love what God has done and what God has built in our home. And it's not perfect. Don't let me fool you, okay? It's not perfect, but I love it. I love it. But I also love the concept of marriage because it's not, um, it's not, it's not just that I have an awesome wife, and it's not just that we communicate pretty well, but it's the calling that we have in Christ Jesus to reflect something way bigger than us, that my wife and I have diligently applied ourselves to the purpose of marriage, and it's this, okay? Marriage is God's design for God's display, Okay, I'll just say it really plainly that, and part of that I stole from another preacher, just so you know, okay? A lot of preachers steal things from other preachers, and that's, I think that's cool. We're all stealing from the Bible anyways, right? God's plan, God's design for God's display, and it's from the very beginning. It's from all the way back in Genesis, and I know it's not the case with everyone in this room that, that we love marriage, some people in this room might actually despise marriage. Depending on what you've been through, depending on what you've experienced, depending on what you've seen maybe in your, your family, in your folks, or whatever it might be, I understand that marriage can be tainted for some. Even if you look at stats on marriage, right? Whatever it is, I, I can't even keep up. Like, you know, for the last 20, 30 years, it was like 50% of marriages end in divorce, Right? I read an article this week, uh, U.S. News and World Report is actually uh, published in 2020, April of 2020, and said that the marriage rate has dropped to a record low. The marriage rate, the amount of people actually getting married. One professor of uh, sociology from the University of Maryland attributes women's independence and gender equality as a huge factor in the long-term decline in marriage. That's what he said. That's what he thought it might be. Part of this article, it kind of made it seem like marriage just didn't work anymore for our society. Kind of made me think, like, was marriage like a thing of the past? Have you ever had that thought? Like, maybe I, I think about the, the, the generation behind me, right? I'm not terribly old, but I do feel like I'm losing touch a little bit with some of the stuff happening in our society and our culture. I look at the degradation of the family. I look at um, the, the way that culture is trying to redefine all of these institutions and all of these roles and this, uh, whether it be around gender and sexuality or what 
actually constitute marriage. But marriage isn't merely a civil thing. Marriage isn't merely a societal thing. Marriage is a God thing. Marriage is instituted by the Creator, by the designer, and He has a good and perfect design for it. Not just so we have a thriving society, but so that we reflect His beauty and His image. Many people think that the breakdown and decline of traditional marriage is going to have really grave consequences on society, and I think we're seeing it. But I think it's bigger than just society. I think it's bigger than when you look at stats in the inner city and you see all these broken homes and broken families and all these kids that grow up without fathers in the home and the type of crime and the type of things that actually flow out of those houses because they don't have that traditional structure of a husband and a wife, a father and a mother in the home. Yes, it does have societal consequences, but for me and a pastor and a leader in the church, the consequences are bigger. Because what we have is something established by God to display God. And it's no wonder why the enemy of our souls is working so hard to divide households, to redefine marriage relationships or what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and what true manhood and, and what does that look like and true womanhood, what does that look like? It's no wonder that the enemy of our souls is working so hard to undermine the family, the home, and marriage because the purpose of it all is the gospel. It's not just for a stable society, and although I think it lends itself to that, but it's because it's one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel that we have in this natural world. What is marriage? Our long-standing definitions of marriage have been greatly challenged and undermined, especially in these last 20 years. But like I said, marriage is not merely a social construct or institution. It's not merely a, a civil union, an agreement between two people to live in some sort of unity together. It's not merely even for the love and enjoyment of hu two humans who have a passionate affection for one another. Marriage isn't even merely for the procreation of children. It's not something that we humans can define and redefine at our whim. But we need to start by understanding that marriage is from God and it's for God, as I've said. It's the design of God for the display of God. And so we read last week in Genesis and we read again this morning in Genesis that he made us in his image. That man was created in his image. And did you notice that it specifically says that he made them male and female? Two separate and distinct genders. Two beautiful counterparts. Beautiful complements to each other. That you have male and female. Man and woman coming together. Unifying themselves beautifully. Not one lording itself over the other. Not one more insignificant or more significant than the other. But God creates Adam from the dust of the ground. He breathes life into him. 
You saw in our text today that all of the animal kingdom was paraded past the man. He named each one. He's going, okay, horse, giraffe, ox, elephant, duck beaver, platypus. We'll call it platypus. Let's call it platypus. When I got to that one, I was like, that would be an interesting one. And at the end of the day, there was no suitable helper. So God, in his mercy, looks at the man. He's, we need a suitable helper for this man. And God creates a woman from the rib of Adam from his side. And it's been noted, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard something along, uh, along these lines. Uh, I read a paper by Dr. J. Allen Branch. Uh, this week, and uh, he comments on Matthew Henry's commentary. He says, Matthew Henry's commentary on this passage is rightly famous, that the woman was made from the rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be beloved by him. Augustine says something similar to Henry and and comments on the fact that the woman was made from man's side and says, even these, man and woman, God did not create separately and then join them as strangers, but he made the one from the other, indicating also the power of the union in the side from which she was drawn and formed. They are joined to each other side by side who walk together and observe together where they are walking. Husbands and wives unified together beautifully, one drawn from the side of another so that that beautiful equality, that beautiful unity would be showcased to the world. One not of more value than the other, but both with beautiful, separate, distinct callings in their complementary roles. As I said, they're, they're beautiful counterparts to complement each other. That's the design of man and woman. Marriage, God's design according to the word of God, is between one man and one woman forever. Speaking of forever, let's talk about that. Okay, Marriage being a covenant. Okay, not just a civil union, not just a piece of paper that you registered down at the county courthouse or whatever it might be, clerk's office. But it's this beautiful covenant, this promise between man, woman, united by God. And although the word covenant is not mentioned in the narrative of Genesis, the language is there. You might not have noticed it because you might not understand it completely, but the language is there. When you look at the idea of leaving and cleaving, that very much is covenant relationship in the Old Testament. The word leave in Hebrew is azab. In the King James and in the ESV and the Holman Christian Bible, it is translated leave. But other places in the Old Testament, it's translated a little bit differently. When you apply it to the negative sense, to leave, it can um, be translated a little more aggressively, to forsake or abandon. You read in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, you see an example of this word used kind of in a negative sense, and it says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. That's the word there, as I'm. They have left me. They have forsaken me. The fountains of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
Another example of this word being used in a positive sense is Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. It says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you. There's that word again. Until I have done what I have promised to do. Okay, so the idea of leaving and cleaving, being contractual, being, being covenantal language, that's leave. Now let's look at the word for cleave. It's dabak in Hebrew. King James, it means to hold fast. In the ESV, it's, uh, it says to bond. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20, it says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast. There's that word. Hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. That covenantal language that you see there, it, means, it, 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 it denotes fidelity. It denotes faithfulness one to another. When you leave and you cleave, I have left behind my old life and I now cleave to. I am now unified, brought together as one with my spouse. That word, the back, meaning to cleave, actually to hold fast, um, is actually used in Job in the description of the Leviathan. Okay, this gets a little weird here, okay, talking about the Leviathan. Uh, right, whether it's this dinosaur creature of the sea or whatever it might be, but I want you to listen to the description here, and I want you to hear the word dabak, okay? Verse 15, Job 41, verse 15, it says, His back was made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal. Verse 16, one is so near to another that no air can come between them. Describing the scaly creature, they are joined to one another. That's the word, dabak. They clasp each other, and cannot be separated. The same Hebrew word there to describe the scales on this back. They're so tight together that air can't pass between them, that they cannot be separated. Marriage is not just a civil union. It's not just an agreement. It's not just, like I said, that piece of paper registered with the state. But it's this beautiful covenant between a man and a woman, before the God of their creation, the God of all creation, designed by God to display God, bound together by God for the glory of God. If that's not your mentality, especially a young person, as you are maybe contemplating marriage, maybe as you dream of marriage one day, if that type of unity is not your mentality, please don't get married. Our text in Mark chapter 10 today, Jesus, as he's addressing the Pharisees about divorce, and he actually ends up quoting Genesis for a bit there. And he finishes it off by saying, what God has brought together, right? If you've ever been to a wedding, that's usually how we finish. Right before we say, you may kiss your bride, we say, what God has brought together, Lord, no man put asunder. That no man separates. That marriage is designed by God. For God. God has brought you together. It's usually like when we're at a wedding and we see them all dressed up, all beautiful. He's looking all dapper in a tux. She's got that beautiful dress on and be like, oh, it's so clear God has brought them together. God has brought them together. But when you're screaming across the kitchen table at each other, do you believe in that moment that it is God who designed that moment? That he's the one who brought you together in that moment. If you're married in this room, he's the one who brought you together. 
It wasn't even your love and your affection. It was destined by God for you to live in that calling as a husband or a wife. And he's the one who binds you together, the two, now one. What God has brought together, let no man, no husband, no wife, let no man separate. He brought you together, and it's not about you. You understand that? I kind of feel like I need to say that about six more times. It's not about you. Your marriage is not about you. Uh, Chris Peterson, one of our elders, pastors here, he does a great job of reminding me that all problems are gospel problems. All problems, every problem in your marriage is a gospel problem. It's not a communication problem. It might manifest itself as that. It often does. But all of our marriage woes are gospel woes. All of our marriage issues start because we have somehow, some way thought that it's about me. We have somehow, some way thought it's about my happiness. It's about my thriving. It's about me building a nice, neat, happy house. I promise you, if you live a gospel-glorifying, gospel-Jesus-glorifying, gospel-centered marriage, your house will probably be a little happier. It'll probably be a little less strife in that house. But make no mistake, your marriage isn't about you. And some of you in this room right now, you're like, dang it, I need to repent. And that's awesome. We do. We totally do. The word of God The plan of God, the design of God, touches every aspect of our life, and it clearly touches marriage. He brought you together, and it's all about him. Let's read uh, one last passage of Scripture before we wrap up today. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, and this hopefully is going to help us see Mark 10, I think, does a great job. God has brought us brought together. Let no man separate, right? That marriage is clearly by God. And I want you, hopefully, to see here more clearly that it is definitely for God as well. Uh, verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their, uh, submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, cleave 
hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, that each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ephesians 5, 22 to 23 is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It seems to be the theme lately, doesn't it? There is no formula. And I would look, look at this. I do, I do a lot of pre-marriage counseling and a lot of marriage counseling. And I look at this passage and I would tell couples as they're embarking on marriage, like if I can give you like an insider's tip, right? There's no formula to a good marriage. But if there is one, it's Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 33. There's no like, all right, here's the manual, pull out the manual. Like a lot of times we treat the Bible as that, right? Like, okay, here's the glossary, like flip to where it says good marriage, go to that passage. This one actually might help us out a lot. And I love this passage because of that. Because it does clearly show us what marriage is all about. I also love this passage because it makes people squirm a little bit. Because I lead off and I say, verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands. And everybody goes, especially today, especially in today's day and age. God has a plan and an order and a design in his word. And he has revealed it. And that order and design touches all facets of life, especially Marriage, especially the institution of the home and the covenant of marriage. And there's a cancerous thought in our culture right now that masculinity and manhood is toxic and oppressive. There are thoughts that um, any type of, of a call to submission or surrender, doesn't matter who to who, any type of call to submit is wrong and oppressive. And I think it really goes back to week one of our study when we looked at the nature of sin, right? I don't want anyone telling me what it is that I'm supposed to do. I don't want God telling me what to do. I don't want you telling me what to do. I don't want my wife telling me what to do. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I am independent. I am sovereign. I am my own Lord. It is so evil and demonic. But that's the, that's the sin nature. That's the nature of sin. We don't want anyone telling us what is, um, well, what I need to do. And I kind of get the, some of the ideas, right? I, I kind of understand, like, there are some people that have been subjected to or some people that have had really horrible relationships. Some of you in this room, you've had a horrible father. You've experienced masculinity in such a way that it has left a very bad taste in your mouth. Some of you may have, may have been in marriages that have been like that, where it's left a bad taste of what biblical manhood or what actual manhood or masculinity is supposed to look like, right? And if you think it's macho or chauvinist or misogynist, excuse me, misogynistic or anything like that, then your definitions of what manhood are completely wrong. Because when I look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, I can see what a husband is supposed to be like. I can see what it means to be a man of God. I can see what it means to be a godly husband. 
and I'm broken. I am, there is a strength in here, but there is a humility in here, right? Who is, look at the roles, right? Husbands, wives, Christ, the church. And it dawned on me one day, right? When Paul writes that, it's not that he's just like looking for this like good, like analogy so that he can like get everybody to have better marriages. It dawned on me one day like this is, this is the design, It's not about me. It's not about my wife. It's not just about a happy, serene household. It's about Jesus. It's about the glory of Christ. It's about his redemptive work. It's about how he laid himself down and loved me and washes me with his word so that I might be brilliant before him as his church. Our marriages... And maybe some of you young people, your future marriage first and foremost is about the glory of Christ. And so men, husbands, be Jesus. Get your nose in the word of God and be washed over by the spirit of God and by the word of God. Be sanctified and cleansed yourself and then be Jesus. Take that word and wash it over your wife in grace. Nourish, cherish, protect Jesus for the church. What did he do? He laid himself down. He went to the cross. That's biblical manhood. Sacrifice, love that ends myself. Love that puts me as the sacrifice for my wife. That's biblical manhood. Husbands, we were made in his image to be his image. I used to t- tell uh, young men in, in pre-marriage counseling, like, I'd look at, the, look at the guy and I said, like, if you get this Jesus part right, if you get this Jesus part right, I promise you she'll surrender to you. She will give you her heart and her life. She will trust you. If you can get that Jesus part right, and then I also look at her and go, he's not going to get the Jesus part right, just so you know. <laughs> You're still called by Jesus to surrender to him. I've watched wives in beautiful submission surrender to their husbands. I've watched them be amazing instruments for their own sanctification as well. It's been beautiful. I look at scriptures, I look at Matthew chapter 16, right? When it says, if anyone would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus, when he's calling husbands, I look at, man, Jesus knew what love looked like. He sacrificed himself completely. That's the calling that we have in Christ Jesus. Our marriage, our roles as husbands to lay down our lives for our spouse And the wife, in return, surrenders herself in submission. I, I always say it this way, too. I love being a husband and a Christian. Because in that picture, I experience both sides of it. I get the joy of experiencing both sides of it. When you came to Christ, was it because he was like, woman? Calling your name, puts his thumb on your neck, calls you to submit and surrender? That's not how it happened, Right? You saw his great love for you. 
You saw that you were blind and lost and dead in your sin, and you saw his great love, and you went, here's all of me. Here I am. It's the same thing for me. I go, man, I love being a husband who's a Christian because I go, I sense the deep responsibility to live that same Jesus love to my wife and to my family. But then I look at it as a, as a, as a church member. As someone who's been loved by him, I go, Jesus, I'm yours completely. It's not oppressive. It's not demanding and domineering. In that Greek word there, for women, submit to your husbands, there's this beautiful willingness that is denoted in the Greek. It's not oppressive and domineering like society would like to tell us. It is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful relationship to the glory of Christ. Beautiful picture of the glory of Christ. Marriage. Your marriage is about the gospel. Designed by God to display God. It's not an afterthought or a good analogy, but from the beginning of time, when God made man and made woman and made them in his image so the world would see Jesus. Today, as the band comes and we conclude and wrap up, I'd like us just to spend some time in prayer. And if you want, as families, if you want to gather up and pray together, feel free. But in your own hearts, in your own minds today, if there are things that you need to repent of, there are some husbands in this room, you need to go to your wife after service today and you need to say, I'm sorry. I've been selfish. I haven't been living my role as Christ loved the church. Some of you wives in this room, maybe you need to also apologize to your husband. Maybe you need to repent today. I'm sorry, I have not been given over to you. I have not been submitted to you. I have not been supportive of you. If that needs to happen in this room, please, please respond to the Holy Spirit in your heart. Don't let those moments go by. Don't let them continue on. This could be a beautiful moment for some relationships in this room today. Kind of that resetting moment. But all of us in this room, I'm going to have the band just play a little bit. Don't, don't sing yet. Just maybe give it a few minutes. And I want us to just do some business with the Holy Spirit at our seats right now. And like I said, if you guys want to pray together for a few minutes, I'm just, like I said, I'm going to have them be quiet. Just play a little bit in the background. Husbands, if you want to pray with your wives or whatever it might be, feel free to do that in this moment, okay? Just do some business with the Holy Spirit. Respond in prayer. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you, you are responsible for, respond. And then the band will start singing. We'll stand together and we'll worship. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your plan. I thank you for your design. I thank you, God, that it is good that your creation, your plan, your will is good, that you are working for your glory and our good. Sometimes, like a lot of times, even in the mess, even when there's brokenness. God, even if this in this room there has been infidelity, you can mend it. 
You can make things right. You can heal hearts. If there's been anger, not reflective of you or the gospel, Jesus, work it out. Holy Spirit, work it out. If there's relationships in this room that are just so saturated with selfishness, they don't know how to get back to facing each other. God, work in them today. Help us see that our life, our marriage, is not about us. It's about you. It's about your gospel, and thus, it's a big deal. It's a very, very big deal. As I always pray, God, help us live to the glory of your name. Help us live to the glory of your name. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name.